I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. Open with me to Acts chapter 8. We're going to talk about a question this morning. How will we reach the world? How are we going to reach the world? Victor Hugo said, There is one thing stronger than all the armies in the world. And that is an idea whose time has come. He is right. The gospel is an idea whose time has come. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jews and also to the Greeks. That word there for power, power of God, it's dunamis. We get the English word dynamite from it. One of my favorite preachers of yesteryear had a radio program called Gospel Dynamite. That's good because that's kind of what Romans 1.16 is saying. The gospel is an idea whose time has come because it is the one message that is the power of God for everybody. Young and old, rich and poor, male and female, American, South Korean, North Korean, Chinese, Filipino, Jamaican. Name your country. Name your ethnic group. Name your background. The gospel is the one power of God that is able to save those who believe. Now, geography will help us understand the book of Acts. So far in our study, we've gone through Acts 1 through 7. And everything in Acts 1 through 7 has happened in one place, in the city of Jerusalem. Everything. and The, the prayer, the day of Pentecost, the preaching in the temple, the arrest, the release, the the miraculous deliverance, Ananias and Sapphira, the dispute over the, the who's serving the widows, and Stephen's great speech before the Sanhedrin, and his sudden, shocking martyrdom, which is where Acts 7 ends. I'm pointing out to you that geography is telling us something. In the first seven chapters of the book of Acts, the Christian movement is localized in one place. It's in the city of Jerusalem. Now, if you start in chapter 13 and go to the end of the book, chapter 13 is Paul's first missionary journey. So what is happening in the book of Acts is what starts in Jerusalem ends up going across the Roman Empire and ultimately to the ends of the earth. Now, if that's chapters 1 through 7, and then you've got 13 through 28. What we are now entering is the transitional section of the book. Chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, and chapter 12. What starts in Jerusalem is going to end up across the Roman Empire. These chapters tell us how the gospel got out of Jerusalem and eventually got to the ends of the earth, which is nothing more than a fulfillment of Acts 1-8. You shall receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. So far, in the book of Acts, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. We've got that covered. Now we're going to see how the gospel begins to break through cultural, racial, and ethnic barriers to reach the rest of Judea, into Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 8 is telling us the time at last has come. No longer will the Christian movement be localized in just one place. We know that God said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's a command. We're told, for God so loved the world. We're told Jesus died for the world. What's our part in it? Our part in it, we are to take the gospel from where we are to the ends of the earth. And I just stop here to say one of the things that I enjoy so much about this class, along with everything else, one of the things I enjoy most about the Logos class, you guys are a class with a heart for the world. Whether it's Africa, whether it's Romania, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's Asia, whether it's South America, you folks, you folks are, you're like living out the book of Acts. And I commend you for it. So here we go. So far in Acts, the gospel is spread throughout Jerusalem. Now, watch this. The salt is about to come out of the salt shaker. And those little grains of salt are going to, they're going to come flooding out of the salt shaker and they're going to begin to spread in all directions. Acts 8 is the story of the church on the move. I'm going to cover the whole chapter now in the next few minutes. And let me just tell you how I'm going to do it. In Acts chapter 8, there are four people. There's Saul, the persecutor. There's Philip, the preacher. There's Simon, the very confused convert. And then there's the unnamed Ethiopian eunuch. God in this chapter is going to use four unlikely people to enable the gospel to spread. Here is person number one, a zealous persecutor, Saul. Later, we're going to discover his other name is Paul, beginning in verse one. And Saul approved of his execution. Who's been executed? Stephen, the martyr, stoned to death. Remember, Saul was holding the cloaks of the men who took the stones and stoned this good man to death. Saul was happy about this. And there arose, and underline this, on that day, the martyrdom of Stephen set out um, an outbreak of persecution in Jerusalem. A great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered. Interesting word. They were all scattered. You know what that word is? It's a word from uh, gardening. It, it's a word that means to sow. They were scattered like seeds being scattered to the winds. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. They had to to care for the church. Everybody else was literally blown out of the city by the severe persecution. Verse 2, 
Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Let me tell you something. It took courage in that atmosphere for them to go get the dead body of the martyr who had been stoned to death. It was not easy in the face of persecution, but they buried him and made great lamentation over him. But Saul, we're told, was ravaging the church. And by the way, the word there for ravaging, it's a word that is used for wild animals tearing into their prey. But Saul, like a wild animal, was ravaging the church, entering house after house. Any Christians there? Any Christians here? Open up. Any Christians here? If anybody dared to say they were Christians, look what happened. He dragged off, and it specifies in the text, not just men, but women also. Any Christians there? Drags them out, and look what it says, and committed them to prison. Two facts about Saul at this point in the narrative. Number one, he is a rising Jewish leader. He's a young man. He's brilliant. He knows the Old Testament. He knows Hebrew. He knows Aramaic. He knows Greek. He is a, he is a brilliant man trained at the feet of Gamaliel, the number one rabbi of that day. Much, much later, after his conversion, he will write to the churches of Galatia. For you know, he's going to say, you know of my background in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy him. I was advancing, he says, in Judaism ahead of all my contemporaries being extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Whatever else we can say about Saul at this point, this much is true. Besides being a rising Jewish leader, he was a rabid Christian hater. A rabid anti-Christian. He hated Jesus. He hated all those who followed Jesus. It would not be too much to say he was a first century terrorist. He was like a beast, wild in his hatred. Later, much later, after his conversion, he looks back on those days and he calls himself a blasphemer. He calls himself that and a violent man. You come to the end of verse 3. Now listen. These verses seem bleak. Martyrdom. Persecution. Burial. Ravaging the church. If you just ended this at the end of verse 3, it appears that the, that the small but growing Christian church is about to be destroyed. In a short period of time, they lost a key leader. They lost their safety and security. They lost their togetherness. They lost close contact with the apostles. It would have been easy for the early Christians to say, God has forgotten us. God's angry with us. It would be easy to say, we've got to stay together. We can't scatter. And it certainly would have been easy for some pessimist to look at the church and say, we will never survive this. Brothers and sisters around the world today, as I pointed out before, we have it so easy compared to Christians in China 
where persecution is on the rise compared to Christians in India where the Hindus are, where, where the Hindus are not only killing Christians, but in some cases burning them alive, destroying the churches across the Muslim world where Christians face intense opposition for the faith. So I just remind you, what we have here in America is a little bit of an aberration. It's not this way for our brothers and sisters everywhere else. Open Doors USA tells us persecution is on the rise. It's higher today than any time in the last 14 or 15 years. So, answer number one. How will we reach the world from these first three verses? By standing strong in hard times. Standing strong in hard times. Stephen, now wait a minute, there's more. There's more. Does anybody here have the, uh, have the King James Version? Does anybody have it? Would you read verse 4 for me, please? Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Would you read the first word again? Therefore. Would you read it again? Therefore. Uh, one more time. Therefore. Uh, that's exactly right. And I, I, I thank you. Beautiful. 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 A lot of translations leave off that word. That, that the NIV for some reason leaves off that therefore, but it's in the Greek text. It's telling us what the connection is. Now read it one more time, and then I'll roll on. Therefore, that's it. Oh, and the whole verse. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Watch this. Stephen was stoned to death. Therefore, the church was brutally attacked. Therefore, Christians were dragged out of their homes. Therefore, Christians were put in prison. Therefore, they were scattered in many places. Therefore, I pause to say this to you. When hard times come, we need to keep our eyes on God. Because when you're in the midst of a crisis, you can't see the big picture, can you? I mean, when, when the sky is falling around you, it looks like the end of everything. And that's why I like that little word, therefore, because it's telling us that God is at work. Stephen is dead, but God is not dead. The church is in prison, but God is not in prison. Christians are being scattered, but God knows what He is doing. Therefore, those who were scattered... And again, scattered like sowing seeds. Those who were scattered like seeds in the wind. They did what? Those who were scattered went away and hid. No. Those who were scattered gave up their faith. No. Those who were scattered as a result of persecution. What did they do? They went everywhere. North, south, east, and west preaching the Word. Wow. Wow. That's good. Persecution does to the church what wind does to seeds. Persecution is like the wind that blows the seeds in all directions. He sows us where He wants us to be. He sows us in many places. He sows us so that we will preach the good news wherever we are. Look at verse 5. So Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he proclaimed to them, and underline that, 
to them, to them, Christ. Christ. Evangelism is God's heart, is it not? Evangelism is God's heart. He will do whatever it takes for us to be in the world preaching the Word. So, let me give you now what these early verses are all about. Are you with me? Are you with me? This is really, really good stuff now. Listen, here's the key point of the passage. God used persecution from the world to scatter the church into the world so that the church could bless the world with the good news of Jesus. That's good, isn't it? Persecution from the world scatters the church into the world so the church could bless the world with the good news of Jesus. One other thing. We're told that Philip, who was a Jew, went down to Samaria. Now, you know the background. You know that in 722 B.C., uh, Assyria came down from the north and captured the northern ten tribes and took them away into Assyrian captivity. Those northern ten tribes never returned. However, when they took the Jews out of the northern ten tribes, they didn't take everybody. There were some Jews left, but most of them were taken away. And in exchange for taking the Jews away, the Assyrians sent Gentiles from other conquered regions into the northern part of Israel. What happened? Over the generations, those imported Gentiles and the Jews who were left, they intermarried. So they were Jewish and Gentile mixed together. They became the race of people known as the Samaritans. From the time that they became a distinct people, there was trouble between the Jews and the Samaritans. Remember in the time of Jesus, the time of Jesus, an observant Jew wouldn't even go through Samaria. See, Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea down here, and here's Jerusalem. See, it's Galilee, and it's Samaria, and Judea. And if you were a Jew down here in, in Judea, the quickest way to get north to Galilee was to go straight north. Go from Judea up through Samaria into Galilee. But observant Jews in that day didn't do that. They didn't want to put a Jewish foot on what they regarded as contaminated Samaritan soil. So in that day, many observant Jews down here around Jerusalem would come here. They would go east. They would cross the Jordan River into the region of Perea. They would go north. They would come to the area of Sea of Galilee and they would cross back over so that they would never have to put a foot on Samaritan territory. Which is why it was so. The Jews looked down on the Samaritans as half, as racial and spiritual and ethnic half-breeds. They hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans returned the favor. Which is, was why it's so amazing when Jesus told that story. The Levite didn't stop and the priest didn't stop. Who's the only one who stopped? The Samaritan. Right? Which would just blow all the circuits of those good Jewish minds. They didn't want to think of the Samaritans that way. And here's part of what's happening now. The gospel is beginning to break out of its Jewish shell. And it's now going to move. And the first place it moves is across the ethnic lines into the region of the Samaritans. Watch this. We're told that Philip preached in the region of Samaria. He worked miracles and multitudes believed. We are told in verse 8, and there was great joy. 
in the Samaritan city. Persecution plus preaching equals great joy. Now, let me give the big picture again. No one could see this coming. Stephen's death at the time must have seemed like a truly senseless tragedy. Yet God allowed it, just as He also allowed the outbreak of persecution and the scattering of the church. God ordained these things should happen so that the church would be scattered, so that believers would preach Jesus wherever they went, so that many would believe, so that there would be great joy in the city. Nothing happened by chance. Not even the worst events. God worked through all of it to accomplish His will and to bring great blessing to many people. One other thing, we'll move right on. Just remember, Philip was not ordained. Philip was not a pastor. He was not an apostle. He didn't have any kind of, quote, seminary training. Philip was just a real deal, ordinary Christian who loved the Lord. He went with the message of Jesus and God used him to win multitudes of Samaritans to Christ. Someone, my friends, has to go. Someone has to go. Why not you? Why not you? How will we reach the world? We'll reach the world as ordinary Christians scattered in all directions tell the story. How will we reach the world? As we cross cultural lines with the good news. First, there is this fierce persecutor, Saul. Second, there's this faithful preacher, Philip. Third, there is this very confused convert whose name is Simon. Verses 9-25 through 25 give us the strange story of Simon the sorcerer. Now you may see his name sometimes as Simon Magus, M-A-G-U-S, which it's related to our word for magician. It, it means Simon the magician or Simon the sorcerer. Let me just read a few verses. Verse 9, But there was a man in Samaria where Philip was preaching. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying to them he was a conjurer. A conjurer. He could tell fortunes. He could do magic tricks. He was saying that he himself was somebody great. Everybody paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. And the Samaritans called Simon, this man, they called him the power of God. Or they called him, their, their, their name for him was, that man is the great power of God. And they paid attention to him. For a long time, he had amazed them with his magic. Now, in the first century, now, now when we think of magicians, we think of uh, David Copperfield. Or we think of uh, Penn and Teller. We think of these guys who do these amazing feats out in, and then they do their shows out in Las Vegas. It's mainly entertainment. But in the first century, the, the magicians were, they were spiritual leaders. The magicians were philosophers. The magicians were teachers. I mean, magicians, astrologers, soothsayers, Fortune tellers. There's a whole class of people in the Persian Empire and the Babylonian Empire and across the ancient Near East. And the good ones made a good living. And they were very influential. And they were highly respected. So that's Simon, the magician of Samaria. He was well known and well respected. Look at verse 12. 
But when they heard Philip preach Jesus, they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And the text says they were baptized. In other words, we got a revival breaking out here in Samaria. These hated half-breeds are coming to Jesus in great numbers. And not only are they coming to Jesus, they are getting baptized. We're organizing churches in Samaria. Pretty amazing. Look at verse 13. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now i got to stop here and just raise a little point. Don't have time to get into it deeply. But there's a lot of discussion about this. Clearly, many, many people were saved in Samaria. They believed and were baptized. Genuine conversions. It says about Simon, he himself believed. He was baptized. He continued to follow Philip and listen to his teaching. He saw the miracles. Now, understand, this is a miracle. This is a magician, a, a fortune teller. And he's seeing Philip doing stuff he himself had never been able to do. It blew his mind. Now, in the next few verses, Peter and John show up from Jerusalem because they hear about the great revival. Only, this is a bit of a problem here. Samaritans coming to Jesus? Do we have a chapter in the program? Is this the way it is supposed to be? So they come up to check things out. And to their amazement, it's clear. These Samaritans are true believers. They lay their hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. Now, Simon saw what was happening. He saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands. He did something really foolish. He offered them money. Offered them money. How much do you want? How much do you Got a wad of cash. Started pulling out some Benjamins, you know. How much do you want here? How much do you want? So you'll give me this power. So when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that is dumb, 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 dumb. And Peter really didn't like it. Really didn't like it. Now, by the way, did you know this thing that, that he did offering them money? It has come down to us as a word in English. Simony. Like Simon with a Y on the end. Simony. S-I-M-O-N-Y. Simony is... The buying or selling of ecclesiastical privileges. Okay? Saying, I'll heal you, but give me this money. I'll heal, I'll pray for you, but you send me your gift, right? Okay, that kind of thing. Now, Simon made two mistakes. Number one, he thought the Holy Spirit was a gift to be purchased. And number two, he thought the Holy Spirit was a power to be Manipulated. Now, how should we regard this? Simon to me, Simon to me at least, appears to be a true convert. He is very untaught. Very, I mean, he, he, he acts like a new convert. He's saved, but he's still thinking in the old ways, which happens to new Christians. Frankly, it happens to older Christians too. Kind of just get your mind in the wrong place. He's still thinking in part like a lost person. Watch this. He thinks God's blessings are for sale. They are not for sale. They are not for sale. How we know this? Look what Peter said. Peter's not happy. Verse 20. May your silver 
perish with you. In the Greek, it's even stronger than that. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter. I think he meant what he and John were doing. For your heart is not right with God. Repent therefore this wickedness of yours. Pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. This is not good. This is not good. Verse 24, And Simon answered, I think he was blown away. He was completely blown away by what Peter said. Pray for me that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Okay? Listen, listen to me. Nothing corrupts quicker than money. Right? We can't do ministry without money. We can't. And yet nothing corrupts ministry quicker than money. We have to. We have to have money to do what God's called us to do. But money, the love of money is what? It's the root of all kinds of evil. We all need to repent of our love of money. We constantly try to buy what God will only give away. Let me say that again. We constantly try to buy what God will only give away. So, how will we reach the world? Well, first, as we reject worldly methods, number two, we shall reach the world as we freely share the free gift of God. There is one other person, and we're more familiar with this story, the concerned seeker, the Ethiopian eunuch, verse 28. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, he's up there in Samaria. All of a sudden, here comes the angel of the Lord ringing the bell. Get up. Go down south to the road that goes down. This is, okay, Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea, Judea, Samaria, Galilee. So he's up here in Samaria, and all of a sudden the angel comes and says, come on down here. Come on down here. See, I'm making a map for you. Come on down. Leave Samaria and come on down to the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert road. In that day, as in this day, Gaza was a difficult territory. Gaza had been in the Old Testament Philistine territory. It had, had really never been primarily Jewish territory. Go down to the desert place. He rose and went. That's all he knows. Go down to the desert. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He, the eunuch, had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join his this chariot. Number one, when you read Ethiopia here, don't think of the country down here. Think of up here. Okay, This is Africa. I know you can't tell, but this is Africa. Not this Ethiopia down here. The country they all know about. Think of Egypt. And underneath Egypt is Sudan. Okay, What the New Testament here is calling Ethiopia was really northern Sudan. It was... Watch this. This man had come 1,500 miles. In that day, a 10,000 mile trip for us would be much less than what this man had done. This Ethiopian eunuch, a man who was, he was in charge of the queen's treasury. He had been physically emasculated. Obviously, he was a trustworthy man because the queen trusted him with her money. He had become a Gentile. He wasn't Jewish. He was a Gentile convert 
to Judaism. He's on, okay, Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea, Mediterranean Sea. What's this down here? This is the Nile River. You know what's down here? Down here is northern Sudan. He had come from the northern Sudan up along the Nile. He'd come across the Sinai Desert and he'd come up all the way to Jerusalem. He had worshipped at the temple. Now he's on the way home. He's on the road to Gaza. He's going to go. He's got, he's got, he's just starting his journey. He's got a long way to go back home. That's where Philip meets him. And what do you know? He's reading. He's reading the book of Isaiah. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. Where was the big revival? The big revival with multitudes saved was in Samaria. What did God say? Leave the big revival. There's one man. We're so impressed by bigness, right? God says, I got other people for this. I got one man I want you to talk about. So Philip comes up to the chariot and he sees he's reading from Isaiah from the scrolls. And he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch goes, well, how can I unless somebody teaches me? And he read out loud from the Isaiah 53. That's the story of the suffering servant. He read it and he said, I want to know. Who is this talking about? Is the prophet talking about himself or about someone else? Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. What a story. What a story. He started in Isaiah 53 and he led him all through the Old Testament and he told him the prophet is not talking about himself when he said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 6. He said he's not talking about himself. He's talking about Jesus. He explained the Bible to him. The eyes of the eunuch were opened. And he believed. And evidently, they were going by stream. Because the eunuch, like all good Baptists, said, here is water. What stops me from being baptized? And, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you can be baptized. And the eunuch said, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And I said, like all good Baptists, because the text said, he went down into the water and was baptized and he came back up out of the water. And then just like that, here's the end of chapter 8. He leads him to Jesus. He baptizes him by the side of the road. And suddenly, he disappears. Philip disappears. And he's taken up to Azotus, which is, we would call it Ashdod, which is heading north. And he heads up and preaches toward the region of Caesarea. The eunuch now is by himself. What I'm saying is, Philip showed up just in time to explain the Bible, lead him to Jesus, baptized him. He disappears. And we're told at the end of chapter 8, the unit goes his way rejoicing and Philip keeps preaching. The story is told about the great, the great evangelist, D.L. Moody. You know that name? D.L. Moody of Chicago in the late 1800s. A great businessman turned evangelist. One day he was talking to a businessman and he inquired, 
about the state of his soul. And the businessman offended said, that's none of your business. And Moody said, oh yes, it is my business. And the businessman said, oh, you must be D.L. Moody. Oh, to be known as Christians who are so concerned for the souls of men and women that we are busy about our Father's business. God's heart is for the lost. As this chapter shows, there are hungry hearts everywhere. God prepares people before we get there. Look, look, I know I got in. So here we go. Let's bring the plane in fast right now. Look, look, look. We're so scared of lost people. We're so scared of what they're going to say. Read this story. God, God brought a man 1,500 miles to Jerusalem. Put, put questions inside his heart. Had him reading the gospel, uh, the book of Isaiah. And at just that moment, Philip shows up. And there's a prepared heart ready to believe in Jesus. Our God goes ahead of us. He prepares people before we get there. Our greatest need is simply to go where God sends us, to stay where God puts us, and to share the message He gives us. If we do our part, God cannot fail to do His. How will we reach the world? As we dare to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, we will, we will reach the world when we make God's business our business. Let's pray together. Lord, take these words, take this truth, Give us hearts not just to believe, but to obey. Lord, we ask you to prepare hungry hearts before us this very week. So wherever we go, whatever we do, we encounter people with hungry hearts. We'll be ready and willing to obey and share the great good news of Jesus. Make us willing to obey, do our part to reach the world for Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.